So I don't think Elvin really wants me to tell you this, but uh, he wrote that song. And uh, it just shows you how incredible, how incredible God is at work amongst us. And I love our musicians. I love our media team. And when technology goes wrong, we adapt. And they did a great job, I think. So, so I, I have just a few minutes this morning, and so I want to try to just boil all of this down to the crux of the matter, if you will. Five years ago, at this moment, or from this moment five years ago, Southeast Texas was trying to figure out what life was going to be like for the foreseeable future because in this past week they celebrated the fifth anniversary of Hurricane Harvey as it blew into southeast Texas with over 50 inches of rain falling in just two or three days in a couple of spots. Some of the friends that we left behind when we came here found themselves homeless because their homes were totally underwater. I have a picture that was sent to me on the, from the street where I used to live at the entrance to that, so about 200 yards or so from where my house was. And that picture was taken from a boat on the water looking down at the top of the street sign on the street in which we lived. So much rain in such a short period of time, and it just totally, thousands of people, thousands of homes were destroyed because of that flood. As soon as they could get in, Texas Baptist Men's Disaster Relief Group and the Southern Baptist Disaster Relief made their way into that flooded area. They went in, these Texas, I'll talk about the Texas Baptist Men Disaster Relief specifically. They call it Yellow Hats. That's uh, what they call themselves because they wear yellow hats. Imagine that. But that signifies for people that they are officially recognized as crisis intervention in natural disasters. And they go all over the United States and even beyond that. Southern Baptist Disaster Relief goes all over the world. They even, as I understand it, did some things in the Ukraine not too long ago. But these are people who are part of Baptist churches all over who have come together to say, we can take our talents and our knowledge and we can put it to work on behalf of people who are in trouble. And so they're certified. So even before residents can go back into an area that was evacuated, those men and women can go in and they do things like the Yellow Hats uh, came to the church I pastored out there and did some training. Part of that training was chainsaw work because those big trees fall over on homes and you have to chainsaw them out. I just love the idea of taking a chainsaw to something and they said, no, you can't do a chainsaw. But they have shower trailers because people can't, once they finally let them go back into their area and try to start rebuilding their homes and whatever it takes to rebuild lives, better said, uh, they, Texas Baptist has shower trailers that they send in. And so we have people trained to deal with that. We have washing and drying trailers where they take those in and help people then wash their clothes because they don't have any running water or power at their homes. They have food kitchens that they set up and feed thousands of people every day, thousands of meals every day. So one thing after another, those groups go in. You might think if you want a point of reference what you know about Samaritan's Person, some of the things that they do. 
Texas Baptists and Southern Baptists have those capabilities and that commitment. If I were to take leaders from each of those organizations and set them down today and ask them of all the things that it takes for that to happen, what common needs do you have in order to do what God has called you to do in that? You know what they would tell me? Among other things, they would tell me it takes money. Congratulations, you came to church on the day the preacher talks about money. Actually, this is a great time for us to finish this series. We've been in the book of 1 Corinthians. I'm going to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians 16, and uh, we're going to look at a few verses there. I wonder if it wasn't possible that maybe when those churches in, in Corinth in the first century got Paul's letter and they were, someone was standing in their meetings and they was reading through this, that they got to chapter 16, the first four verses, I wonder if somebody went, oh, man, the preacher's talking about money today. Well, whether they did or not, we are. In just a few moments, 10 minutes or so, we're going to go into a call business meeting. Actually, we're going to go back into it. We've recessed from the first end of the first service, a special call business meeting to vote on our proposed budget for the coming year. Our church year starts on September the 1st. And so our finance committee and all kinds of other committees in our church and individuals in our church and ministry areas have been working for months to put this budget proposal together. And we bring the final step of that. Well, the next to last step, which is for us as a church to vote whether we approve that budget or not. The last step is to fund it. And so I want you to kind of focus in on 1 Corinthians 16, the first four verses, the final message in our series where we have been talking about priorities or characteristics of healthy churches. Make no mistake, Paul has written the book of uh, what we call the book. It was a letter to the Corinthians, his first one or at least the first one we have, and he's written that to address problems that they've had in the way they were doing things. Some of their dysfunction was so pronounced that it was, it was under, under washing their witness in the community. And so Paul wrote to them and said, you got to get this straight. You're killing your witness with people. So as, as we come to that, we also find, though, that there are times that Paul is, is not addressing a problem there, but rather he is addressing one of the questions that they had given to him. And that's the case with what we find in chapter 16 and verse 1 and 1 through 4. Here's what we read, 1 Corinthians 16, beginning in verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also you are to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. What we find here is Paul, as he steps into a need that is actually not so much the need of the Corinthian churches, but the need of the poor Christians who are in Jerusalem. I don't have the time, but you can write down this reference in Romans chapter 15, in verses 25 through 29, Paul talks just a little bit about what he's calling here the collection. So the Christians in Jerusalem, they were now being persecuted by Jews, and it was, it was a tough situation there. And so they had this set of poor that are part of the church in Jerusalem, and they need help. And so Paul has gone to the various churches throughout Asia Minor, the Greco-Roman world as we would know it, and as he has planted churches, 
He also is saying to them, hey, your brothers and your sisters in Christ who are in Jerusalem need your help. So let's take up a collection. And so in verse 1 here in 16, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, that's what he's talking about. And they have asked him, so how do we do this? And Paul gives five guidelines in verse 2 that I would suggest come to us to help us understand how we approach giving in the church. Let me say this very quickly before I move to those guidelines. In no uncertain terms, Paul is underscoring for them the need for God's people to support kingdom work. So the title of this sermon, the last of these things that we've identified, these uh, key characteristics, priorities of healthy churches, is that healthy churches support kingdom work. That's God's kingdom, by the way, not individual people's kingdoms. And he's saying to them, as the church of God that is in Corinth, understanding the need of your brothers and sisters who are in Jerusalem, let's take a collection. I want to take you for just a moment to the budget that you're about to vote on. You've had a chance, I presume, to see this sheet. We put it out a couple of weeks ago. It represents an overview of the budget that you'll vote on here in just a few moments. And this particular budget uh, shows how much we spend or at least allocate for spending in the area of missions. And you'll see that it's a significant amount. If you don't see that in the amount, then turn it over and look at this page because half of that back page gives you a, just an overview of the mission work that we fund and that we do as a church. I want you to hear me say this based on that. Our church has historically been and currently is very healthy when it comes to supporting kingdom work. I would say that just as a point of reference for you, during the pandemic, when churches were closing for periods of times, others closed for all time because they could not meet their obligations as it related to the monies that they took in. Our church, a clear exception to what was the norm among churches, at least the ones that I know about and the friends of mine who are pastors, our church never missed a lick when it came to the financing of God's work. That's not just here. That's in addition to other offerings that we do. And so some of that financial assistance that we give that supports those disaster relief units that I just talked about or supports Franklin Nandigam in India with his mission that he does for clean water and for orphans or in any of these others that we do, the church in Chihuahua that we have gone and done some work with this year and done things, we continue to live to the DNA of this church, which is supporting kingdom work, not just through human resource, although we do that, but also through fiscal resource. It's a critical part of the life of a church that they're willing and consistently about the process of supporting financially the work of the kingdom of God. And you have done an incredible job at that for years and years. When I came Actually, I think I was on the hook, not sure about that, uh, as far as the pastor search committee was concerned. And as they were talking to me, they were trying to decide, do we get this guy off of the hook or do we go ahead and reel him in? What do we do? So part of what they talked to me about was the DNA of our church and that we are missions-minded, 
not just missions-minded as if we're captured with the idea of missions, but rather that we are invested in mission work. Mission work is a big term. If you want to flesh some of that out, go back to that budget summary that I'm talking about and read some of what Edgardo and the Missions Committee have put here, just a kind of a chronicling of some of the high points of what we do. Healthy churches support God's kingdom work. Our church is healthy at this point. But just because we're healthy today doesn't mean that we will be this time next year. Some people are looking at the economy that's out there and thinking to themselves, like Chicken Little, what will we ever do? The sky's falling economically. And so we look at this budget, and some people might say, well, can I give you a truth or two? Here's one. God's not surprised by the economic situation of our time. Let me take it a step further. Neither is God alarmed by the economic situation of our time. And here's the kicker. God's not subject to the economic situations of our time. I would say, along with Paul, I think, that we know that there are brothers and sisters out there who need us when it comes to the collection. I'll add to that, we need to be givers too. And you are. So you, you understand this is not one of those beat you over the head, try to get into your wallet sermons. This is just a point of reference. Paul says this is part of what we do. And it is certainly part of what we do. In case you're not exactly sure, let me really quickly give you these five principles out of verse 2 that Paul gives us when it comes to giving. All right, hear me carefully, and I'll say it again when we get to it. He is not talking about tithing here. That's a whole different conversation. Paul's talking about a collection for the saints. And so, in other words, as we would say, our whole budget is tied to pushing the gospel out, but especially in the points of mission. So let's talk about this very quickly. We read in verse 2. I'll read the whole verse again, then I'll come back and take it apart, and then we'll be done. Verse 2. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Here's the first thing about the giving that he's talking about. It is done regularly. On the first day of every week. Paul is interesting the way he writes this. In first century Corinthian society, and actually I would say through the, uh, the vast majority, maybe all of the early churches, that worship that they did was on Sunday. Now, there will be even people today in this day and age who would say that churches, Christian churches, ought to be meeting on Saturday because that was the Sabbath. Uh, they're welcome to have their opinion, but it's not consistent with the New Testament church. They met on Sunday because they were celebrating and remembering the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It differentiated them from Jewish and Judaism as a belief system. So on the first day of the week, Sunday to be exact, and that helps us to know it is to be done regularly. It is an ongoing practice that he's talking about. The way that he writes this is each Sunday. So there you go. If you wanted a good reason why we take up an offering when we come to church, well, at least we're consistent with the New Testament church in Corinth. That's the first thing. Second principle that we find here is that it is to be done universally. Same verse. All of these are from verse 2. On the first day of every week, 
each of you is to put something aside, etc. Each one. You know, if you look up that word, each one, or two words, in Greek, you know what it means? Each one. Here's what Paul's doing. See, the Corinthian society at large, and this particular characteristic had found its way into the church. That's why we have a lot of the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing to combat some of that kind of stuff. But in that society, it was a society of social climbing. It was a constant move for status. It was, it was this constant push in them uh, to, to avoid stepping on someone above you who could keep you from getting above them. It was an interesting dynamic in how they ran their whole culture. And Paul has told us that they have allowed that into the church. That's why it begins with, well, some say that I'm of Apollos and I'm of Paul and others say I'm of Jesus and all that. There were these different factions and each of them were moving to try to be at the top of the heap. And so what happened with a lot of those who would be at the top of the heap, these people who are especially moneyed, they would then lord it over everybody else. So Paul talks about the leveling of the field, and we've talked about that some in this series. So with that, in this case, he makes sure that he doesn't open a door for some of those who have more than others to let them use it as an opportunity to get above everybody else. And so he let each one, and then he doesn't tell them how much it has to be. He actually says, well, so let me go to the third one. So the first one is regularly. It's to be done universally. That's number two. Thirdly, it's to be done systematically. And it says, let them, uh, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. This is a regular practice and he says, we'll let you do it. So they're talking about doing it at their home probably. And then the collection will be made later so that not anybody could see, well, I gave X number of dollars in our time, we would say that. Paul's careful to make sure that the whole church is involved in this and there's no cause for anyone else to take pride or preeminence because of how they did it. Fourthly, it is to be done proportionately. Interesting term. This is why I say he's not talking about a tithe here. It says each one of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. Paul's not giving them a formula on how much to give. He says, as God has blessed you, give. So we're not going to be that church. I served a church like this that would send deacons to people's homes this time of the year and say, here's our budget. How much are you going to commit to give? And then later in the year, if you didn't give that amount, that deacon would come back and see you and say, pay up. Can I just be honest with you? That's a terrible way to do offerings. God resources what he requires. And healthy Christians support kingdom work. Healthy churches support kingdom work. These are great principles for us when it comes to doing church finance. Even though there are other principles we could go to, these are good places for us to start when we're standing on the verge of a new year with a budget that is largely given to taking the collection for the good of the kingdom. 
The last one, number five, is that it is to be done freely. <laughs> That's the last part of verse two. He says, so that there will be no collection when I come. Paul was being very careful not to be the guy that everybody else pointed to and said, you're just doing this for your own good. By the way, I'm that guy too. I'm not doing this for my own good. I, I, I think it's part of a stewardship approach that we take. We understand that whatever God has blessed us with in our lives, as his servants, we get back into the kingdom work. It's not about the preacher. It's really not even about you necessarily. It's about understanding the stewardship and the privilege we have to support God's work here and abroad. And so in just a couple of minutes now, you're going to have a chance to vote on whether you think we ought to do that with this budget that we have proposed. I think it's a good reminder for us at a good time that we understand that churches, healthy churches, support the work of God, the kingdom of God, as it goes. So we commit ourselves to be good stewards of that, and we commit ourselves to be givers. And that's between you and God, however much that is. However often that is, that's between you and God. Let's pray. And as we pray, let me just remind you that the reason we have a time of invitation in our service is because I believe that no matter what we're singing about and no matter what we're talking about, that God is at work in the hearts of people. It may be that God has put something on your heart today that, that requires you to make some kind of commitment, some kind of action. Maybe, most importantly, maybe that's this, this sense, this, this gnawing pressure that you have to make your life count somehow. And it pushes you to Jesus Christ. And the reason that you're formed in the first place for a relationship with God. And you know that something is not right and it's keeping you away from that. And so maybe today what you need to decide about is are you going to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you going to trust him with your life to accept the love of God that gives us the life that Jesus Christ gives us? So if you don't know Christ in a personal way, this invitation may well be for you for us to have that conversation together. And we invite you to that. Maybe... You want to be at a church that is committed to serving and to furthering the work of God, both here and abroad. So maybe God's moving you to join. Maybe it's something personal. Maybe it has to do with your finances. Maybe God's doing something with you that just you and he need to work out. This is a good time for that. If you want to come up here and pray, you can do that. So Father, as we come now to the time of invitation, we pray that you would take it, be glorified in it, and change lives, which is your specialty. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus to reach out and Say that we